Well, good morning. Great to see you. Isn't it good to be here together? Um, just excited you're here. If this, if this is your very first time, I do want to welcome you. My name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors, and we're just glad you're here. Uh, before we go into our time of teaching, uh, just one quick thing I want to give you an update on is that for those of you who were here last fall, you remember it was a very exciting season in the life of our church. So we did a series called The Assignment. We shared the vision with you we believe God had given us as a leadership team uh, to just in some new ways begin to reach out uh, and join Jesus in his mission to seek and save the lost. And so part of that Part of that assignment was to enlarge and refresh our campus for the people God's bringing. You can see it today. It's kind of, we're all, kind of running out of space. And so, um, so anyway, it was a very exciting season. And, uh, and so we're going to be kicking into high gear, as Dave was sharing, that in a couple of months, hopefully at the beginning of December, we'll see Lord willing if it works out. But we're going to be moving from this building over to the student center temporarily and uh, so we can, can kind of uh, redo this building and that building there and increase capacity and so on. Um, in, our, in our whole kids' center, and so we're excited about that. And so if you were here last year, you remember that. We've talked about that. But we have just grown this year, and there's a lot of people here that have come since last November that they weren't here. And so when you look around and you wonder, why is there graffiti on the walls? You look around and say, like, what kind of church is this? And, uh, can, you know, why don't they use spray paint on the cooler? And, you know, just all kind of, you know, one life, and what's a one life? And just, it was an amazing season. And so it dawned on us recently, you know what, we really need to have kind of a revision uh, a revision for those of us who weren't here a year ago, and maybe you've been here two weeks or two months, or you've been here since January, but, uh, and so what we're going to do is the last two Sundays of this month in October, uh, I'm going to be giving a, a two-hour presentation. It's just, uh, it's the same presentation both nights. It's on a Sunday night. It's going to be from six to eight o'clock. I'm calling it Revision 2013, The Assignment. And so uh, what we're going to be doing is just sharing the story of how God kind of moved, put this, gave us this vision, uh, what the vision is, what it's going to look like, and then give you a chance if you want to be a part of it to join us in that, in that season. And so uh, I'm really looking forward to it. It's going to be a great, a great opportunity to meet some of you who are, who are newer and just share with you. So um, if you would like to come, it's, uh, you know, free of charge. We're providing childcare free of charge as well. Uh, childcare is for fifth grade and younger, but we do need you to RSVP because uh, we need to know how many people are coming because we're going to be we're going to be serving some nice desserts and we want to make sure we have enough uh, people to watch your children and make sure they're safe and no one dies and so uh, so for all those reasons we need RSVPs and so um, on in your um, program there's this sheet called the assignment it says revision 2013 explains a little bit more about that it also gives you you can go online and sign up for that and give us how much how many kids and how many are coming uh, or you can send us an email there's an address and just give us that information there. And so either way, but we want to get you uh, oriented for that. And again, it's two nights. So if the one doesn't work, you can go the other night, 20th and 27th. Right? So that's that. Um, and so we're going to be going to our time of teaching right now. Uh, inside your program is a message note sheet. And so uh, if you haven't taken that out, especially if you're new, you'll, you'll definitely want to take that out so you can follow along. And then if you guys are all set, uh, I'm ready to go. You guys ready to go? Yeah. All right, let's pray. God, we're so thankful for what you're doing here at our church and, and what you're doing in our lives. And most importantly, we're just excited about Jesus and who he is and how he's transforming us and teaching us to follow. And so as we continue in this series, it's all about following you. We pray that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear what your spirit would say to your church today. We pray it in your name. Amen. Well, today we're uh, continuing this series we started about uh, three weeks ago called Jesus, the Call to Follow. And for those of you who are new, this is actually part of a longer series. It's a second of three parts of a longer series on the life and teaching of Jesus as told through the eyes of one of the leaders of the early movement of Jesus. His name was Mark, and about 30, 35 years after the resurrection, uh, he writes an account of the life and teaching of Jesus based on his friendship and the firsthand eyewitness account of the Apostle Peter. And so what we have in the Gospel of Mark is really sort of the memoirs of the Apostle Peter. And so if you were here a couple weeks ago, uh, what happens as we kick off this series is that Jesus, for the first time, reveals to his men who he is. He's more than a teacher. He's more than a miracle worker. He's more than a prophet. That he actually is the great king of Israel that's been prophesied for over a thousand years that would come one day and usher in the kingdom of God. But then he shocks them by telling them he's a very different kind of Christ or Messiah than they expected that he's not going to kick out the Romans and crush the Romans, he's actually gonna be crushed by the Romans. 
that he's going to die. And this just messes with our whole paradigm. From their whole, whole uh, lives, from the time they were little, uh, little boys, they've been told that Messiah is going to come, turn all wrongs to right, this age of prosperity, peace, righteousness, joy. Uh, they're going to be at the, 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 the head, not the tail. And their whole lives they've been prepared. Now the Messiah's come, and he's claiming that, they're, they're, that not only is he going to uh, die, but he says that if, you, if you're going to follow me, you need to be willing to be crushed too. You need to be willing to die as well. And so they're shocked. They're, they're, uh, they're, they're, they're horrified. They're terrified. Their whole world's upside down. They can't even get their, their hands around it. And so then last week, you remember that it's, it's like one week later after that event, six days later, Jesus takes three of the key disciples, his inner circle of Peter, James, and John, takes them up onto this high mountain where in Israel's history, God would often reveal important things on high mountains. And there on this high mountain, Jesus is revealed in all of his glory. And so we're told that he, he's transfigured, he's transformed, that his body chemistry changes, he's brilliant. Moses shows up, Elijah shows up, they're talking with him about his upcoming departure in Jerusalem. And uh, Peter and James and John, of course, blown away, and then God speaks, and he says, hey, this is my son. He knows what he's talking about. Listen to him. So everything in the past, the Elijah that represents the prophets, Moses that represents the law, everything's leading up to Jesus, and what God is doing, he's authenticating his son. Hey, he is my son, and what he's telling you about this life, death, and resurrection thing, you need to be paying attention. So that was last week. So, so we left them last week, Peter, James, and John, Jesus, on top of this high mountain, northern part of Israel. Today, they're going to make the trek down the mountain. And when they get down below, the other nine disciples are there with a big crowd. They're in a fight, kind of argument, with the religious leaders of the day, which is kind of normal. And so uh, we're going to see what happens. So if you've got your Bibles, have your iPads or uh, uh, you know, phones or whatever you're looking at, open your apps up to chapter 9 of Mark. And there in your note sheets, a section called The Encounter uh, real faith plus real doubt. We'll pick it up at chapter 9 and verse 24, 14. As I was saying, 14. <laughs> you think after three times, you would know. Um. Okay, so verse 14. So they, when they came to the other disciples, so this is Jesus and... Peter, James, and John. When they came to the other disciples, they get down off the mountain. They, they saw a large crowd around him. The teachers of the law are arguing with them. Some kind of dispute going on. And so as soon as the people see Jesus, of course, he's the one they want to see. They're, they're overwhelmed with wonder. They run to greet him. And so Jesus is kind of curious, like, hey, what's this argument about? He asks in verse 16. And so a man in the crowd answers up. And, and he's, uh, he's a father. And he says, teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of his speech. And later on we'll learn he's also robbed him of his hearing as well. And so whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth. He gnashes his teeth. He becomes rigid. And so it's much like we would call today like a grand mal seizure, like an epileptic seizure. But it's become clear that it's much more than that. There's a, there's a, this is a de demonically uh, induced condition. And uh, as, as evidenced by this boy, also cannot speak. He can't he can't hear. And so, so Jesus is going to begin to probe. And so what we're going to find out, this father is going to say, you know, this is actually started when he was a very young boy. Now, we don't know, like, how old he is now. Um, he says it's happened from childhood. It sounds like he's probably an adolescent at least. But, but uh, and, and so the father is going to tell him more stories about this, that uh, this, this demon, when he manifests, when this demon, when he manifests, that he actually leads the boy towards self-destructive behavior. Now, we've talked about this in this series that um, when we're dealing with the demonic, that the dark side, uh, the enemy hates us as a race, and so his goal is to destroy us. And whenever we follow his leading in our life, it always leads to destruction. And so when you think of like the, 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 uh, say the most notorious sociopaths and how destructive they are and how they, uh, like a sociopath kill, how they delight in, in causing pain, that's just a pale shadow of our true enemy, right? And that's how he operates. So we've seen this throughout the Gospel of Mark. For example, we saw in chapter 5, remember the story, the event of the, uh, the, the man who was possessed by many demons. His name was Legion. 
He's running through the hills naked, screaming in pain, cutting himself with rocks. We see that today. People that are demonized today often have thoughts that are kill yourself, take your life, uh, uh, you know, cut yourself. There's destructive behavior. And so this is what's going on. And so what, what happens is father's going to tell Jesus is that this is what's going on in his son's life, that not only does he have these seizures, but when they come, the demon often causes him to come on when he's around bodies of water or when he's around open flame. And so just imagine the terror of this as a father. You've lived with this for years. Your son that you love, he cannot hear you. He cannot speak. Uh, he's, he's shut off. This is a day and age. They don't have sign language like we have now. And so he's, he's shut off. They've not heard each other's voices for years. Uh, and, and this boy, he's always watching out for him, especially whenever he's around like the Sea of Galilee or a river, when he's around open flames, which in those days were very common, right? They cooked over open flames, that kind of thing. So he had to be careful because these, this, the spirit would drive him into the water or drive him into the fire. And so just imagine the terror of this. And so Jesus is going to begin to kind of get the lay of the land and do an investigation. And, uh, and what had happened was that this, this man had brought uh, his son to be healed by Jesus. And when he gets there, Jesus is up on the mountain. Uh, and, and so he's a long ways away. And so uh, he decides to go to his next best option, which is the disciples. Now, you remember back in chapter six, Jesus had given his men authority over demonic. And so they were experienced in demonic. But the hard thing was he brought his son and says, hey, hey, the A team is not here. Right? He's up on the mountains. Let's go to the B team, junior varsity. Right? <laughs> But the JV can't solve the problem. Like, they're praying over this guy, and they don't get it. Like, the spirit's not leaving. They're perplexed. They don't get this. And so this dad who comes with probably fairly high faith, you know, it's, we don't know if he's traveled three miles or 30 miles, but he's traveled a long way to get there to meet with Jesus. He obviously believes Jesus can help him, but his faith that started high is now very low because his men who are supposed to be able to cast this out, they're not casting out. They don't have the power. And so he's starting to get depressed, right? So when he meets Jesus, he's kind of at a desperation point. This is sort of like he's been living this with years. He's at the end of his ropes. The disciples couldn't help him. His faith is waning. And so we're going to see all of that happening right now. And so anyway, so in verse uh, 17, this uh, t- man, the, the man in the crowd says, teacher, I bought you my son who's possessed by a spirit, robbed him of his speech. And whenever it sees him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, becomes rigid. And I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. And so Jesus is kind of frustrated at this point. And honestly, we're not sure exactly why he's frustrated or better yet, with whom. I don't know if he's, he's frustrated with his disciples. Like, come on, guys, you've been, by this point, you know, or he's, just, he's frustrated with the crowds, they, their, their faith is so low, or the religious leaders who are always in his way and kind of st- trying to stop him. But he's frustrated, and he says, oh, uh, unbelieving generation, how long shall I stay with you? You know, how long is it gonna take? Uh, how long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. You know, do I have to do everything myself around here? <laughs> so, uh, so they bring him, and so when the Spirit sees Jesus, there's a power encounter, and this often happens. Uh, you know, that this, this uh, Spirit sees Jesus, and, and there's like, whether he's freaking out in fear or whether he's trying to intimidate, he, he kind of goes into action, and right away, uh, this boy, he throws the boy into convulsion, and he, he falls on the ground, and he rolls around foaming in his mouth, and I love Jesus' response. He's very calm. He's like, oh, that's interesting. Um, how long has this been going on? Just kind of, uh, and, um, and so... He says, well, it's from childhood, and it's often thrown him in the fire or water to kill him, but if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And so you can just hear that. Can you hear that desperation in his voice? He's just like, oh, you know, if you can help. I mean, seriously, we're at the end of our ropes here. And so Jesus says, um, he kind of challenges him. He says, if you can, if you can, um, everything is possible for him who believes and I, I think what Jesus is doing here is just really speaking in this father's heart. He's just telling him the truth about life. He's calling him out. He's calling out his faith. He's, re, he's rekindling his faith. Now, it's interesting because, just quick sidebar here, when Jesus says everything is possible for him who believes, he doesn't mean everything you want in life, right? We're clear on that? He doesn't mean Cadillac, uh, he's not saying house on the hill, right? Put it on your mirror, visualize it. You know, it will come to pass, right? He's saying everything that's in the realm of what God wants to do in your life, right? Everything in the realm of what he's leading and calling you to do. 
He says, like, if God's in it, everything's possible. So he calls out this man's faith, and then he says, immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, and I love this, he's just so honest. We're going to talk about this later. He says, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Isn't that awesome? Have you been there in your life? God, I believe, but I'm not so sure. <laughs> I'm kind of a wreck, you know? Yeah, I believe in you, but I also have a lot of doubt. Could you help me? You know, go so honest. And so Jesus sees a crowd's running to the scene. He wants to keep this under the radar, so he rebukes the evil spirit. He says, you deaf and you mute spirit. And so notice it's not just uh, mute, he's deaf. He's, the boy can't hear or speak. He says, I command you to come out of him and catch us. Never come in him again. He, he wants his father to know that not only is the spirit about to leave, but he's never coming back. Put yourself in the place of this parent. And you'd be like so excited that the spirit's gone, but wouldn't you be worried like I get home, it's gonna happen again? It's like, gee, this was just a kind touch on Jesus' part. Yeah, we're gonna take care of this for once and for all. You're not gonna come to this office again. Right, this shot's gonna work. And, uh, and so... Uh, after, uh, and so, the, the, of course, the spirit then shrieks, he convulses him violently, he comes out. The boy looks like, so much like a corpse that many said he's dead. And I want you to put yourself in the place of the father. At this moment, my guess is that father is at the low point in his faith because his greatest fear is that this demon is going to kill his son, Right? And now you've brought him to Jesus. There's this horrendous power encounter. The boy has just gone crazy, freaked out, fall down, looking like he's dead. If I'm the dad, I'm thinking, I think I just lost my son. But of course, that wasn't the case. And so Jesus takes him by the hand. He lifts him to his feet, and he stood up. And so, so Mark is going to stop this story. The camera is going to pan to scene two, okay? Well, let's stay with scene one, <laughs> because I, I just want you to picture this. Crowds there, heard the story, seen this power encounter, kid flopping, foaming, rigid. Jesus gives the command, looks like he's dead. Boy gets up, perfect peace. Crowd's gonna be going crazy. The crowd is gonna be like high fiving, woo! You know, it's gonna be, this is gonna be awesome. And so, but Mark's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We see that all the time with Jesus. Let's switch on, let's talk about this. Right? <laughs> and so, just one of those amazing Jesus things. Um, so, so in the Gospel of Mark, here's what you see, is that Jesus often does things in public, teaches in public, or does a miracle, and then the important stuff happens offline with his disciples. You see it all the time. Remember back in chapter 4, he pulled his disciples, he said, why do you teach in parables? He said, to the crowds I teach in parables, but to you I give the secrets of the kingdom. And so, there's, so Mark's going to say, hey, I want you to catch what happens afterwards. And so the scene changes, and they're now in a private house afterwards. And uh, so Jesus had gone indoors. His disciples asked him privately, hey, what's up? Why couldn't we drive it out? I mean, you gave us the power. We've been successful. What's up? We tried. We did our best. Why didn't it work? And so Jesus says, well, this kind, well, this kind of demon, this kind can only come out uh, by prayer. And so some demons are more powerful than others. And what Jesus seems to be saying is that, that for this kind of strong of a demon, uh, you need to be clearly connected with your father. You need to be prayed up. Your faith needs to be strong. Our faith does release the power of God. Uh, everything's possible to him who believes, but you have to be close with your father, walking with him, and in strong spiritual shape to deal with this kind of a demon. It seems to be somewhere in the realm of what he's saying. Okay, so there's, there's the scene. Now, let's set this up. So it's another amazing power encounter, another amazing miracle, but let's, let's remember where we are in the Gospel of Mark. That, that the gospel of Mark starts with Jesus saying, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And so the whole story of the, of, of the coming of Jesus is about the coming of the great king. That, that how for a thousand years, the prophets have said, one day the great king, the Messiah is gonna come, turn all wrongs to right, the kingdom of God's gonna come. And so when Jesus comes, here's what I want you to catch. Remember, his miracles are always, they're, they're not just random acts of power. They are signs they're saying what Jesus is saying about the kingdom is true. What he's saying about himself is true. They're authenticating his kingdom. What we're seeing in Jesus with his miracles, we're seeing the power of the coming age breaking into time and space here and now. It's a preview of coming attractions. 
And so, and, and that's especially true with the demonic because back in chapter three, Jesus said that if I cast out demons by the power of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. See, it's an ultimate authentication. God's, God's kingdom is breaking into the kingdom of darkness and taking captives, right? So, so but on top of that, at this particular event, there's some great teaching about what it means to be a follower of Jesus and the role that faith plays in our life. And there's so many wrong ideas that we often have in Christian circles and culture in general about faith and what faith is and what faith isn't and, and how it releases power. And so today we want to take some time and talk about that. And there in your note sheet, here's what I want to do. I want to start with just a couple principles, kind of big picture principles that flow out of this passage about how faith works. And then I want to come back at the end and get real practical and give a couple, kind of a couple principles that, that apply to our lives and how it works out in our life. And so there in your note sheet, you have a section called uh, Real Faith, the Principles. Let's jump in. The first one's pretty simple. It's fairly obvious. I've mentioned it a couple times, but I want to highlight it, kind of tease it out a little bit, and then we'll build on it. So here we go. The first one goes like this, is that uh, faith releases the power of God. Then what we see in this event is this lesson that, that faith, uh, trust, releases the power of God in our lives. Now, we've seen this throughout the Gospel of Mark, and I want to do a quick, kind of quick review, a quick flyby of what we've learned in the Gospel of Mark. Chapter 2. Remember this, the four buddies take their friend who's paralyzed in a mat. They, they believe if they can just get to Jesus that Jesus will heal them, but they can't get to Jesus because the place is packed. So remember they create a skylight in the guy's house, drop him down. Jesus looks up. Remember what Jesus said? He says, when he looked up and he saw their faith, he said to the, the man on the mat, your sins are forgiven, and they proceeded to heal him. And so what we learned very early in the Gospel of Mark, there's a connection between faith, trust, and the power of God to forgive sins, to heal our lives, whatever. If you, if you fast forward in chapter five, you remember we, we saw a couple events there. First one involved a, a synagogue ruler named Jairus. It has a 12-year-old daughter who's dying, comes to Jesus, will you come and heal her? Jesus is en route, messenger comes, Jairus, don't bother him, your daughter has died. Remember what Jesus said? He said, do not be afraid, only believe. And and he did. He trusted Jesus and went with him. And then Jesus raised his daughter from the dead. Faith unlocks the power of God. Um, same chapter. There's a woman we meet. She's uh, been bleeding for 12 years, has some sort of uh, uterine issue, we believe, and gone to all the doctors, spent all of her money. She just thinks, if I can just get to Jesus and touch him, I believe I'll be healed. And so she fights her way through the crowd, touches him. He feels power going out of his body, turns around. Who touched me? She's afraid, comes trembling up. He says, daughter, be at peace. He says, your faith has healed you. On the opposite side, we saw in chapter 6, Jesus comes to his hometown and all his hometown friends are like, who's this? Thinks he's such a big shot, right? This guy fixed my, he fixed my screen door, you know? Um, his brothers, they're rascals. They're here. We know them all. We know his sisters. Nothing special, right? And so we're told that Jesus was not able to do many miracles there. Only, he could only heal a few people, like low grade, you know, a couple flus, stomachs, you know. Um, uh, that it says he could not, do many miracles there because they wouldn't trust him. And he said he marveled at their unbelief. And so I think what's going on there is that it's not so much like people were coming and would you heal me and like, oh, your faith isn't good. No, it's like they just weren't coming. Like, like people with serious issues were not coming. The blind, the lame, they weren't coming. And so we've seen it on both sides. Faith releases the power of God. Lack of faith cuts off the power of God. So think of faith like a power line. It's a conduit connects us to the power of God. And we see it here in this chapter. In fact, Jesus makes his strongest statement to date in the Gospel of Mark, and he says it in verse 23. Let's take a look at that again. In verse 23, he says, if you can, everything is possible for him who believes. And so Jesus says that, that if, you, if you're willing to trust God, that it releases his power into your situation. And we see this throughout the ministry of Jesus. He often says this. When we get to chapter 11, I believe it is, he'll say, hey, when you're praying for something, just believe that you received it, and then it will be given to you, and so on. So there's this great emphasis in the teaching of Jesus on faith. 
that it's our trust that releases the power of God. Now, I want you to think about this for a second because this is just true of any relationship. Like, I, I can have the greatest mechanic in the world, but if I don't trust him with my car, his power is not available for my car, right? You see, this is the way relationships, there's nothing mysterious about this. It's just the way relationships, you, you may meet a girl, you fall in love, everyone thinks she's awesome, but you're not going to have a great marriage unless you trust her and get married, you see? The, the way relationships work, faith is always a part of relationship. Trust is always a part of relationship. Trust always releases the capacity of that relationship. And if you're relating to God, it releases his capacity. Does that make sense? There's nothing really weird about this. It's not like nothing weird about faith. It's just, it's just the way relationships are. And so faith releases the power of God. That's number one. Number two. The second principle is that and this is so encouraging to me, is a little faith goes a long way. And this is so encouraging because I don't know how this is for you, but especially as a younger believer, these statements of Jesus that he would make like, everything is possible if you believe or, hey, when you're praying, pray for something, believe that you received it, and then uh, if, it, uh, you know, if, if you believe you'll rec- you know, that it'll come true, that they were both inspiring and discouraging to me. Because on the one hand, they're very inspiring. Like, wow, that's awesome. You know, if we just can trust God, his power's released. But have you ever been in a situation with God where you really need God to do something and you're trying to trust him, but you also have some doubt yep. and you're wondering if that doubt's gonna ruin the whole thing? <laughs> right, have you ever been there? You're kind of like, oh my gosh, I'm just trying to... And so, in our culture today, there are just a lot of crazy ideas out there about what, what faith is. And what I, like, what I love about this story is, is that it shows that just a little bit of faith unleashes the power of God. Because here's what happens. This guy comes, and I can totally relate to him. He's taking a risk. He's making the long journey. He obviously believes Jesus can help him. He wouldn't have made the journey. But by the time he gets here, he goes through the B team, and they, and they drop the ball. He's like, wait a second. Everyone says these guys have the power to cast out demons, and they failed. And so by the time he gets to Jesus, have you ever been in a situation in your life where think of faith like a thermometer on a scale of 1 to 10? You start off the day at an 8, pretty strong in your faith, and something happens in your life, and all of a sudden you're at a 4? It's like, what happened here? You know, it's just like, oh, I... You know, so convinced, right? And then something happened. That's what happened to this guy. By the time he gets to Jesus, his faith is really weak. Weak faith. And you hear this when he says, if you can, please help us. So what is he really saying? And, and then he goes on and, and Jesus says, if you can, of course I can. And he goes, well, I believe, but help my unbelief. What's he saying? I believe, but I have lots of doubts. Now, have you ever been there? This is kind of our lives. So I believe, but I have lots of doubts. And, and what I love, and what he's really saying, is he's saying, I'm kind of 60-40. Yeah, 60%, I think you can help. 40%, I'm not so sure. Maybe 70-30. You know, maybe, maybe 75-25. You know, we know he was more than 51-49. Because if it was 49-51, he wouldn't have been there, right? So he, he believes, and this is so encouraging to me. And here's what I love. I love Jesus' response. You, you, you could almost expect Jesus to go like this. Oh, no, no, faith unlocks the power of God. I'm telling you, it released the power of God. Your faith is just kind of weak, son. Uh, you need to go home. You need to work on this. Um, I'd love to help you. My hands are tied. Uh, faith unleashes the power of God, and your faith is, is definitely not very strong. I can see the doubt. So I need you to go home. I need you to read your Bible, uh, go to church, talk to some other people I've healed, right? I, I need you to visualize this. Visualize your son healed. Visualize it, right? Don't let any negative thoughts come in. Don't say anything negative, like, I hope it helps. Like, don't say that. Stop talking. Like, start talking positively. Like, I know this will work. 
Say it a hundred times. I know this will work, right? And then when you get it all together and your faith is a hundred percent, come back and I'll be able to help you. I'd love to help you. I just can't. But it's not what he says. Here's what I want you to catch. Jesus not only heals the boy, but he heals the man's faith. And I want you to look at this. Look at me, chapter 9. And verse 23, verse 24. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, what's he say next? Help me overcome my unbelief. See, this father had two prayers, two requests. Request number one, heal my boy. Request number two, heal my faith. And, and this is exactly what Jesus did. You see, when Jesus was saying everything is possible to him who believes, he's not rebuking him in the sense of like, what are you doing here wasting my time? He's not doing that. What he's doing is he's speaking faith in this man's life. He's saying, let me tell you the truth about life. Let me tell you how this works. Jesus is going to heal the, 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 the boy, but he wants to teach the man the principle. And so, and so he heals it. And I want you to picture this. I want you to picture when this man came to Jesus, whether it was from three miles or 30 miles, he's bringing with him a son that he's not talked to in years. He's bringing him a son that's not been able to hear him in years. He's bringing him a son that they haven't had a communication. From the time he was a little boy, they have never had a conversation. As many times as that father has gone and laid hands on his son before he goes to sleep and prayed that it wouldn't happen tonight, his little boy has never heard those words. This, this little boy has been living in a world of no sound and no speech. He's not heard the laughter of his father. He's not heard the sound of the crowds. He's not, he's not heard the, the, the singing of the birds. He's not heard the shuffling of their feet on the way to Jesus. He's not heard any of that. And on the way home, I want you to picture how different this was. This father and son, arm in arm, laughing, talking, high-fiving, Remind, remembering all the times in the past that they'd shared they'd never been able to talk about. And by the time they got home, did they have a story to tell? And, and you can just imagine this father telling everyone that was around, we wouldn't believe it, we went, and then Jesus wasn't there, and we went to the B team, and the B team failed, and it didn't really work, and they were like the JV, and I was so discouraged, and I almost came home, but I know, I no, I just got one more shot, I got to try Jesus, maybe he can help, I don't know if he can help, and, and yet he healed, he healed my boy, and, and he just, but it, he's telling the story, you realize he's healed, that Jesus healed his faith. This man has gone from a doubter to a billboard for Jesus, right? And it's so encouraging me to that in our lives that it only takes a little bit of faith to connect with the power of God. In fact, in Matthew's account of the same exact passage, same event, Matthew records these words of Jesus where Jesus said, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, and remember what we learned back in, in Mark chapter four, a mustard seed is three times as big as a poppy seed. The kind of poppy seeds we have on our bagels, our muffins. Imagine one-third of that seed. He says, if you have that, here's the thing. It's not the strength of your faith. It's who your faith is in. You can have all the faith in the world in the wrong person or the wrong God, and it's not going to work you can have a poppy seed of faith. And it will work if you're trusting the right God, you see. And so, so faith releases the power of God, um, but it only takes a little for it to work. Now, let's get practical and talk about our lives. So there in your note sheet, there's a section called Real Faith, the Practice. And, uh, and so here's, the first one goes like this. That the heart of faith is to come and to follow. The heart of faith is to come and to follow. 
You see this throughout the Gospel of Mark. If you, if you said, well, you know what? The Gospel of Mark, Jesus talks a lot about faith. So what does faith look like? Like if I were there just watching, what would it look like? Well, it looks like people coming to Jesus with their issues. That's what it looks like. It looks like this father who makes a trip, brings his son, comes to Jesus. It looks like the four buddies taking their, their paralyzed friend and digging a hole in the roof. It looks like um, a, a synagogue ruler making a trip to Jesus. Could you come and heal my daughter? It looks like the woman who had been bleeding for 12 years saying, I just got to get to him. What does faith look like? It looks like coming to Jesus. I got to get to whatever the issue I have in my life, my marriage, my kids, my finances, my ministry, my character, area of cinema. It looks like coming to Jesus with that. I'm going to go to Jesus. That's the essence of faith. I'm going to bring whatever the issue is. I'm going to come to Jesus. And then the second part is I'm going to do what he says. I'm going to follow his instructions. And you see this throughout the Bible. You see this, you know, often in our day and age, there's a lot of crazy ideas out there about what faith is and what faith isn't. Like in secular culture, faith is often seen as an impersonal force in and of itself. So faith is seen as kind of a form of positive thinking. It's a form of mind control. Uh, and so if we, if we visualize the future and we, we think positive thoughts and we refuse to have any negative thoughts, our that faith will kind of, through the energy of the universe, kind of pull good things to me, the law of attraction. And, and, if, and if, I, if I think bad thoughts and have negative thoughts, it'll pull bad things to me. So remember that book that was so popular a couple years ago, The Secret? It was all about that law of attraction. You are what you think. In Christian circles, it shows up in, in theology. It's kind of a name it, claim it theology and a prosperity gospel. It's just kind of the Christian version of that. It says, hey, what do you want God to do for you? You come up with an idea, you get a vision, you, you visualize this, you picture this, you, you just, you hold on the promises of God, you recite them over and over again, you refuse to have any negative thoughts, and then it works. You'll get what you want. But here's what you find in the Bible, is that's never what faith is. Faith in the Bible is always a personal relationship. It's in the context of personal relationship. It's a personal relationship of responding to the God who is there, responding to his promises, following what he tells you to do. Think, think, of, think with me, for example. Uh, just, I could give, you know, we could go on with 82 examples. Let me get three that are well known. Abraham, right? Abraham's not in his bathroom one day saying, what would I like to do for my life? I know. I want to become a great nation. I'm going to visualize that. <laughs> it's going to take a lot of faith because my wife and I, I'm 70, she's 60. We've been working at this a long time, no kids. But I believe, I believe. I'm going to visualize this, a great nation, put it up on my mirror. I cut out a picture from the Ur Gazette. <laughs> Large people. That's not what faith is. Faith is a response. God comes. Abraham, I have a vision for your life. I want to turn you into a great nation. If you'll trust me, you follow me, I will bless you, and you'll become a great nation. And through you, all the world will one day be blessed. And so Abraham, trust this God. Faith at its core is about trust. He trusts this God. He leaves his homeland. He takes off, and sure enough, 100 years old, he has a son, Isaac, through whom one day the Messiah will come and bless the whole world. What happened? Faith, unleashed trust, unleashed the power of God in his life. Right? Uh, next, next event, uh, Moses. Moses, 80 years old, on the backside of the desert, worn out for his arrest, 40 years old, from when he was 40, killed the guy in Egypt. God comes, and he says, I've got a plan for your life. And he said, I want you to take that stick you have in your hand, and I want you to go back to the place where there's a warrant out for your arrest. And I want you to go to the most powerful man in this part of the world, superpower, and I want you to tell him to let his entire workforce go. 
Most like, uh, pretty impressive, the burning bush, but I don't think so. <laughs> and you remember how Moses responded? Like, uh, not me, got the wrong guy, can't talk, blah, 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 can't talk, see, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, the finest education in Egypt, but I blah, 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 lost it all, blah, 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 you know. But eventually, he listened, and he followed, and unleashed the power of God in an unprecedented way in world history, the greatest show of God's power in human history in terms of miracles, the miracles of plagues in Egypt, the crossing of the Red Sea. Then they have Peter, New Testament, on the boat, midst of a storm, eight, ten-foot swells, whatever, about been capsized, I see Jesus coming, remember Jesus says, come to me. Come on, Peter. And Peter responds to that call, goes to Jesus. Power of God's released in his life. See, see, faith is a response to what God is doing. It's not when we come up with our big dreams and put them, okay, now God would you. Faith is a response to what God is doing. And at the heart of it, as we've seen all the way through the Gospel of Mark, it's going to Jesus with whatever needs we have, and then doing whatever he said. And that's exactly what happens in this passage today. And so, so the question is, like how does this apply to our lives? So let, me, let me give you a couple applications here. Um, for some of you here, you're not yet a follower of Jesus yet. You've been coming to Rocky Peak for a while maybe, or maybe some other church or whatever, but you've not yet given your life to Jesus. And honestly, that you can really relate to this man in the story. It's like you, you feel faith uh, welling up in your heart. You're beginning to believe in Jesus. The more you hear, the more you, you sense he's really true, and yet you still have some questions about committing your life to Christ. You're not quite ready. You, you have a lot of unanswered questions. What about evolution? What about the age of the earth? What about the resurrection that really happened? It wasn't a myth, just the ancient God kind of rising again. It's kind of, it's kind of a common myth. Uh, wasn't it, uh, uh, what about homosexuality? And what about this one way? There's only one way. And you've got all these issues, all these questions. So what you find, if you're honest today, you've got faith welling up in your heart. You really, some, there's something there with this Jesus guy, and I, I need to move towards him. And yet there's these fears these questions, these doubts. And so what you've been doing is you've been saying, I'm going to wait until I get all my questions answered until I go to Jesus. And that's not the way to do it. The way to do it is just to go to Jesus with your questions, with your doubts, with your fears, and simply say, Jesus, if you're real, would you reveal yourself to me? And if you're real, I will follow you. That's all it takes, as simple as that. Let me talk to those of you, my brothers and sisters. We're, we're Christ followers. You love Jesus, I love Jesus. You know this, don't you, that, that over the course of your life, there's gonna come times when God is gonna ask you to take a step of faith. And it's gonna be hard. He's gonna ask you to change careers. He, he's gonna ask you to start a new ministry or join a new ministry. He's going to ask you to forgive someone that in your heart of heart you hate. They've hurt you. And everything within you says, I want to hold on that bitterness. Life will be better if I remain bitter. Everything in you says that. <laughs> yeah, that's not in my notes. Uh, <laughs> but, but it does, right? When you hate someone, it feels good, doesn't it? It's like, I don't want to let go of that hate. This feels good. Life is good. I hate them, Right? I hate them. I don't want to forgive them. Life would be bad. They would get away with it. No, no, this is my job. I'm the sheriff of the universe. I'm going to hold them accountable, right? They're not getting away with this, right? And so, and so Jesus comes and says, no, let it go. And it's like, I don't want to let it go, right? And so for someone else, it's their sexuality. It's an issue with their sexuality. For someone else, it's an issue with their finances, it could, but throughout the course of our life, Jesus is going to come to you. He's going to ask you to take a step of faith. And here's what's going to happen. When he tells you that, there's going to be a part of you that says, yeah, that makes sense. I believe. And there's a part of you that's going to say, uh, part of that doesn't make sense. I, I don't believe. Right? What's the heart of faith? The heart of faith is to follow. And so here's what I want you to catch. You do not have to wait until you're 100% convinced that Jesus is right to follow him. 
It's fine to follow him being 70-30. Just follow him. Because when you follow him, it will release the power of God. Like you don't have to wait until I am absolutely convinced that if I pursue sexual purity instead of sexual promiscuity, life will be better. You, be, you just have to be convinced enough to say, I'm going to trust it. And let him show you. Right? You don't have to be absolutely convinced that life will be better if I forgive this person. You just, 80 20 is good. <laughs> 60 40 works. Because it's when you take that step of faith, it releases the power of God. You don't have to wait until you have it all perfect. Does this make sense? Yeah. Right. It's awesome. It's awesome. So. Hey, do you seriously think that like in the Bible, these guys that are like faith people, do you think they were always 100%? Like do you think Abraham as his family's crying there and he's leaving urban city to go live in the hills, a place he doesn't know, you think that he didn't have at least one little thought, I hope this works. <laughs> we know Moses didn't. Moses, he had to twist his arm. He had to give him a couple tricks. Okay, stick your hand in. Ah! You know, it's like, <laughs> stick it back. Yes, you know, it's like, like, like God had to really pull out all the stops. And this guy was not exactly the example of, yes, God, you know, right? But it doesn't matter because he took his rod and he went to Egypt. And that is all God needed. God doesn't need you to be 100% convinced of anything. He just needs you to trust and to follow. And guess what? It's when we do, we get healed. And that leads to number two. Number two goes like this, that authentic Christ followers are not afraid of fear and doubt. Authentic Christ followers are not afraid of fear and doubt. You know, sometimes with Christian circles, we can be so afraid of fear and doubt. I think sometimes we have these wrong ideas of what faith is. So we think of it like positive thinking or positive confession or whatever. So we don't like, oh, I don't want to admit that I have any doubt. That's going to jinx it, you know? Sometimes we don't understand Jesus. So it's like, hey, if I tell Jesus I'm doubting, and maybe it won't work. He won't help me. You know, so, so we have these ideas. One of the things I love about this story, this event, is how this father was so radically honest. He just comes. He just said, in that moment of desperation, I believe, but I'm full of doubt. Like, I, I believe. Help my unbelief. And so he, he asked Jesus, and here's what I want you to catch, is that when he asked Jesus, that that doesn't cause Jesus to turn away, it causes Jesus to respond. You see? And so sometimes in, in Christian circles, we can be so afraid of fear and doubt that what happens is that we're, when we're going through hard times in our life, and we all go through them, when there are times where, is God really going to come through? We're afraid to be honest. We're afraid to be honest with God. We're afraid to be honest with others. Like, like catch this. Like, picture a life group. Picture a life group. And I'm so proud of our life groups and how authentic they become and all that. But it still happens. I think you can picture this. Picture a life group. If someone is in there saying, would you just, would you pray for me? I've been praying for my son for five years. He's been in and out of rehab three times. And my, my heart is broken. I just, I, I believe God's telling me he's going to heal him, but I just not seeing it. And I just, I'm sort of at the end of my ropes. I, 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 I don't know. It's like, I, I hope God, I just don't even know anymore. I just, I feel like I, maybe I'm wrong, right? And so someone opens up in a life group and shares that. What typically is the next thing that's spoken by the group? What typically is spoken is someone who's trying to negate that honest statement of fear and doubt and to quickly paste it over with faith because we're uncomfortable. Sometimes we feel like we're letting God down or we're all going to get too discouraged or something. But we're uncomfortable with fear and doubt. And so someone's going to quickly come up with, hey, you know, buck up. You know, you've been here before and I'm sure this is going to work out, you know. 
Okay, who else has a request? You know, um, or, or, you know, someone's going to bring out the trustee. Well, you know, God uh, works all things together for good. You know, and it's like, really? You know, in the Bible, there's a reason. It says rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And so what we want to do here at Rocky Peak, and this is one of our core values for those of you who've been here for a while, you know third value on our value list is authenticity, living honestly. One of our core values here is we want to create a community where we learn how to share both our faith stories and our fear stories. Our faith stories are those times where God calls us to take a step, we get out of the boat, and God comes through, it connects us with the power of God, and it's just awesome. So God leads you to pray for someone who's sick, and you, just, you really feel like God's saying, I want to heal that person. You, just, you pray boldly, and God heals them, and you share that story, and it strengthens everyone's faith. You take that difficult step of obedience, and God meets you and transforms you. You, you trust him for your finances, and he, he provides for you, and we share those stories. We gather in our life groups, we share those stories and we should because this is how faith grows. Faith grows as we share our stories. But we also want to be a church that is able to share our fear stories. When we're down, when we're discouraged, when we're depressed, when we're full of doubt, they're able to come to our friends, to our life group and say, I'm really struggling. I do believe in Jesus, but I have this unbelief. And to find there a group that will love us and embrace us and not try to fix us. The life of the authentic Christian has to go through valleys and they don't get fixed overnight. The same David who wrote, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not walk, one chapter earlier wrote, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And what we want to do is take people from Psalm 22 and jump to Psalm 23 without working through Psalm 22, right? It's a process. And so we want to create a community where we share our faith stories and our fear stories. And here's the thing. It's when we learn to be authentic and to share our fears, both with God and others, it's there in the midst of the fear that Jesus meets us and heals us. And if we're not willing to be honest about our fears and doubts, we can't get healed because we're not being honest. I want you to notice, that, remember, in this, in this, in this uh, scenario we saw today, in this event, remember, two requests. One request, heal my boy. Number two, heal my faith. And it's when the Father with honest helped my unbelief that Jesus was able. I want you to think of another story. At the end of, after the resurrection, Sunday night, first Sunday of the resurrection, 10 of the apostles are there. Judas has already killed himself. Thomas is out at Fresh and Easy getting more matzo bread, whatever. (laughs) Jesus shows up, right? Everyone's skeptical, but he finally convinces them. Jesus leaves. Thomas comes back, arm full of groceries. Hey, we saw Jesus. What have you guys been smoking while I was gone? He's dead. He's gone. Like, he's, he's not the Messiah. What's wrong with you guys? They killed him. Messiahs don't die. You crazy? I'd never believe in him unless I can put my fingers in the holes in his hands and my hand in the hole in his side. Pretty strong faith, huh? <laughs> Honest. Authentic. Real. Angry disappointed, frustrated, devastated psalmist. A week later, Sunday night, Jesus shows up. What's he say? Thomas, I, don't, I cannot even believe you. No. First thing he says, peace be to all of you. Thomas, check it out. <laughs> and what did Thomas do? My Lord, my God. You see, it's in the moments of fear and doubt we take him to our Savior and there he meets us.
and nowhere else. There, in the darkness, we meet him. And Thomas would go on to take the gospel of Jesus all the way to India, giving his life for his Savior. But it happened because he had the courage to say, I believe, help my unbelief. And so as a church, we want to be that church, right? We tell our faith stories. We tell our fear stories. And authentically, we have God meet us, transform us, and turn us into life changers. Amen? Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we're just so thankful for the honesty of your word. Um, we're thankful for this man like this father who came so distraught and yet willing to come to you and just be honest. And Lord, there are days in our life where our faith is so strong, we feel like it can never be shaken. There are days when we're wondering, I believe, but help my unbelief. Thank you that you are God of both of those days and you meet us in both those times. Oh, our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. I want to talk to those of you who are here that are not yet followers of Jesus, but you can identify with what I was talking about today. You, you find yourself, you are believing. You're believing more and more, and yet you still have serious questions, doubts, fears. And I just want to invite you today to come to Jesus just as you are and to simply ask him if he's real to show you with the, with the promise that if he is, you'll follow him. So our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. I'm going to pray a very simple prayer. And if this expresses the desire of your heart, I invite you to pray with me. Dear Jesus, I come to you today. I believe, help my unbelief. I ask you to show me if you're real. I ask you to show me if this story about you dying for me is real. I ask you if it's real to give me the gift of your spirit. Change me, teach me. And I promise that if it's, if it's real, I will follow. I'll turn from my old life, I'll follow. While our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, for those of you here, my brothers and sisters, maybe there's a step of faith that God's been calling you. You may have been even ignoring him because you didn't want to admit it was even there, but there's something. It's in your marriage. It's in your finances. It's in your career. It's in your ministry. It's in your personal life. It's in your sexuality. It's somewhere, but, but God's been calling, and you've just not been willing to trust him, and you've kind of been waiting until you're 100% sure he's right. And today, having heard this, you're ready to just go out on the water, to get out of the boat. And you just want to say, Jesus, full of fear, it's not an easy thing, but I want to follow you. And you're going to get out of the boat, and you're going to want to experience him coming to you. And so during this time, as we go into worship, I want you just to, to go to him, make it your prayer. For those of you who just prayed the prayer to ask Jesus if he's real, I would love to connect with you this week and just send you a letter just about some new steps in your journey with Jesus. And so would you do me a favor and just write me a little note on the back of your Connect card that says, Mike, I prayed the prayer. I know what you'll mean. And we'll begin to share with you just some more information about this journey that you're exploring. Lord, we, we come now as we worship, as we bring you our offering. We pray that you'd meet us. We pray that you'd establish us. Thank you that when we come, we meet you. We meet our Savior in the midst of the storm. You strengthen us. Thank you that when we're weak, your spirit is strong within us, just like that father today, Lord. He was weak, but your spirit was strong for him. And so we pray to come and meet us as we worship in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand together. Let's pray. Lord, amen. It's our declaration that our flesh may be weak. There are times we lose sight. We are time we lose faith, but... We're so thankful. It's not the strength of our faith. It's the strength of the person our faith is in. And that our flesh may fail, but your spirit never will. And God, we're just so thankful that it doesn't take perfect faith to unleash your power in our life. That if we will just come, we'll bring our issues, and then we will do what you show us. That your power will be released. And we're thankful for that. We're thankful for the plans you have for our lives, the vision you have. And we pray you'd strengthen us in that. That we could be your people like Thomas whose lives are turned around and we become people who declare your praises. Because we have been in that dark spot and you've met us. In the moment of our weakness, you became our Lord and our God. And we have a story to tell. 
And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I hope you can be with us next week as we continue this journey. I want to remind you, after our service, we always have our prayer ministry at the back of our auditorium to the far left, to uh, the back where the tables are. And if you need prayer for anything, head on back there afterwards. Um, next week, you know, we've started this series. We said the movement of Jesus is three things. According to Jesus, it's countercultural, it's radical, it's future-focused. And we're going to see that next weekend as we continue this journey, as Jesus tells us the path to true greatness. What does it look like to become truly great? It's a marriage, a family, a career, a ministry. What does it look like to become great? We're going to learn that the path to success always leads through the door of service, exact opposite of what this world would teach. And so it's going to be a powerful time as we, we circle around Jesus and let him teach us uh, what it looks like to follow him, what it looks like to be great, why it's so true that the last will be first and the first will be last. Uh, and so I hope you can be here. Until then, may the Lord be with you. May he strengthen you this week and strengthen your faith. May he strengthen you in your faith by the way you share faith stories with one another in our life groups. May he share, strengthen your faith as we share our fear stories and we're honest and authentic. May he meet you in your darkest hour and show himself strong on your behalf. May you discover like David, he is your refuge, he is your tower, he is your shield. He is the one who goes before you, the one that goes behind. That he loves you deeply, he covers you completely. And that under his shadow, under his wings, you are safe. And that whatever happens, that he will go with you and walk you through it in his name. God bless you guys. Love you. See you next weekend.